Didn't quite get it. Yeah, yeah thanks. Follow that, Nick. Thank you. It's really good to be here. I've heard uh, wonderful things about y'all for a long time. Um, although I live in um, Pastor Church north of the river, uh, this part of the city is, is a, a deep roots of my life, about 20 years spent here. I have two degrees from UMKC. I served Country Club Christian Church for 14 years. I taught at St. Teresa's Academy for a few years back in the day, long before some of you were born. Um, but uh, so this just feels like home. And yet I think uh, the thousand times I've driven by, I've never set foot inside the building. So this is exciting for me. And glad to be here with you. Um, appreciate the invitation. So uh, you don't know me, uh, but uh, for about the next 30 minutes, I'm just going to ask that you trust me. So um, we're going to do some stuff. We're not going to. We're going to talk about it later, but we're going to practice some practices. So for much of the next 25 to 30 minutes we will be in some form of silence, if that's okay, if you're comfortable with that. I will switch up things every, uh, we'll have, there'll be three sessions. I'll try to explain them very clearly. Each time we're in a session, I will give you multiple options of things for you to, to do that hopefully will make you feel comfortable if uh, silence is something that, that you're not accustomed to. Because um, some people it is, and at some people it's hard, and actually, uh, for sometimes for people who've experienced trauma, it can be very difficult. So if you need to get up and go outside or you know, whatever you need to do to take care of yourself, absolutely do it. That's, that's the whole point. That is the whole point is taking care of yourself. So first of all, we're gonna, um, I'm gonna invite you to do uh, an ancient prayer technique called Lexio Divina. Um, I talked to Nick, I think maybe you've, um, um, played around with this a little bit. I'm going to read a short passage of scripture. I'm going to read it three times. Um, and um, after each reading, uh, or during each reading, I'm going to invite you to do focus on a specific thing. We'll take a little silence, a minute or two. I always say how much I'm going to do, and then I'm never consistent. So I'll just, just, I'll just, whatever feels right, right? Whatever feels right. Um, so your choices here are, you can sit with eyes closed. You can sit with um, what people call a soft gaze, which means eyes slightly open if, if being closed feels claustrophobic to you. If you'd like to focus on a spot on the floor in front of you, you may do that. Or if you would like to, if you're a visual person, um, this is a piece of art that I'll tell you about after. Um, actually, I'll just tell you now. Uh, I'm gonna be reading from Psalm 139. This is actually a piece of art that was inspired by that um, work uh, by an artist named Ellen Van Renderot. It looks like Danish or something like that. So I don't, didn't know her, but I know that. Uh, I just looked that up. So, okay, so eyes closed, soft gaze, floor, artwork, whatever is comfortable for you. So I'm gonna read this short passage of Psalm 139. The first time I would like for you to listen for a word, a phrase, an image that captures your attention. Uh, my friend Rob Carr says, um, listen for something that shimmers. So as I read, listen, and then we'll take a short silence, a minute or two, and then I'll explain the second reading. 
O my beloved, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my innermost thoughts. You find me on the journey and guide my steps. You know my strengths and my weaknesses. Even before words rise up in prayer, lo, you have already heard my heart call. You encompass me with love wherever I go, and your strength is my shield. Such sensitivity is too wonderful for me. It is high, boundless gratitude is my soul's response. Sit for a minute or two with whatever image um, you were drawn to. Listen again for a word, a phrase, an image that captures your attention, that shimmers. Is it the same word or phrase, image? Is it something different this time? Oh, my beloved, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my innermost thoughts. You find me on the journey and guide my steps. You know my strengths and my weaknesses. Even before words rise up in prayer, lo, you have already heard my heart call. You encompass me with love wherever I go, and your strength is my shield. Such sensitivity is too wonderful for me. It is high. Boundless gratitude is my soul's response. Sit with the new word, thought, phrase, image, or perhaps the one from the first reading. Sit with that for a minute or two.
as you listen to this third reading, um, explore what message you may be receiving. What is it about the phrases, the image, the words that caught your attention? What is it about that specific thing um, that you feel God may be drawing your attention to? What message is there that you might be receiving? And then we'll spend a little silence again after. Oh, my beloved, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my innermost thoughts. You find me on the journey and guide my steps. You know my strengths and my weaknesses. Even before words rise up in prayer, lo, you have already heard my heart call. You encompass me with love wherever I go, and your strength is my shield. Such sensitivity is too wonderful for me. It is high, boundless gratitude is my soul's response. Explore what meaning, what message might be available in this text. I want you to hang on to that. We're just going to transition into a further exploration of that text. So we're going to take 10 minutes. You, you have four options for these 10 minutes. Option uh, one is to just sit, continue to meditate, contemplate. We can talk about that in a minute, the difference between those two words. If, you, if you're comfortable and that feels good, then feel free. On your table is paper and writing utensils. You may journal if you would like to journal. You may draw. Um, I had meant to bring some adult coloring pages and I forgot, but look what I found when I got here. If you would like to color, there's only two of them, so highest bidder, you can color. Option four is walk. And I, uh, I'm terrible at art, and um, my brain's moving a little too fast to write, so I'm going to walk. I'm going to do a form of a contemplative walk that um, I'm, I've been introduced to by the uh, Contemplative Outreach. And um, you can, I'm going to kind of make a lap around the room. I figure it'll take me 10 minutes if I walk really slow, and that's the purpose. Some of you may know the teaching of Thich Nhat Hanh. I'm not as familiar with his techniques, but... You, we don't need to be in a line. You can just 
if you want to stand, if you want to whatever, if you want to do interpretive dance while we um, are accompanied by music, then these, these 10 minutes are yours. And I'll try to keep an eye on the clock. So would you like to hear the text one more time or are you good? Yes, once more. Okay. Oh, my beloved, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my innermost thoughts. You find me on the journey and guide my steps. You know my strengths and my weaknesses. Even before words rise up in prayer, lo, you have already heard my heart call. You encompass me with love wherever I go, and your strength is my shield. Such sensitivity is too wonderful for me. It is high. Boundless gratitude is my soul's response. Take about 10 minutes and continue to explore that text and how it's speaking to you this day.
about 30 more seconds. Kind of wrap up your thoughts. and you want to continue for a few more minutes, we're going to transition, but you can, I'll explain in a second here. about two or three more minutes um, in silence. just want to offer this as, as an alternative of uh, one of the many, many, many ways to pray to get in touch. Um, these are two options. I put them side by side so that it wouldn't, one wasn't on top of the other and it didn't come out real well. But um, take on Han on your left. Uh, these are... Um, things to say, to kind of use as a mantra. Many forms of the contemplative prayer do not encourage the repetition of a specific, you know, uh, we use words for placeholders. These practices are designed to actually say the words to yourself. So uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's is a, with your breath, breathing in, I calm my body, breathing out, I smile. And there's a second part of it, I, but that's the part I really like. So interiorly, Breathing in, I calm my body. Breathing out, I smile. And this is the Jesus prayer. It's an ancient prayer. It comes from the Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox tradition. Uh, there's different versions of it. Um, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I usually leave out that part. And as I continue through it, I often shorten it to Jesus, mercy. Jesus, with my breath, mercy. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. This simplifies. So take about, let's take two, three minutes. Just try out one of those, because tonight is a, a, a sampler plate. <laughs> Hopefully you leave here tonight with something that uh, you want to explore further. So about three minutes. Go crazy and try them both.
I would invite you to find a conversation partner. Uh, we're just going to take a few minutes, so ideally uh, to a group of two or three, so that each of you have a minute um, to share. Just kind of unpack what was going on with you uh, in those last 30 minutes. Uh, if you're comfortable sharing what the images were you uh, experienced, um, if you're not, um, I was at a conference last week and one of our brilliant Disciples of Christ theologians offered, um, she said, check, out, check in on yourself. She said, where is the pain and where is the possibility? And I thought, oh, that's brilliant. Like, that's, ever, that's everything right there. So was it uncomfortable? Was you, are you horrified that you even showed up tonight? That's okay. Um, so uh, I'll stop talking. So three minutes in case there's a group of three. Find somebody to chat with. If one person is done doing all the talking, stop and let your partner share. Thirty seconds. Ten seconds. Five, four, three, two, one, negative one. So um, Psalm 139 is pretty much gorgeous in any translation. This is a really lovely book called Psalms for Praying. 
by uh, Nan Merrill. It's a paraphrase. It's a very creative um, uh, modern day use of the language. Notice uh, that typically that psalm starts with, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. She uses the word beloved. And uh, I thought, should I tell that to them beforehand or should I just throw that out there and let them see, oh, who is, who is your beloved that has searched you and known you? Was it God or was it something else? You know, so that's what's so cool about um, Nan Merrill. Yeah, Psalms for praying. They're really nice. So, um, oh yeah, it looked like I was getting cut off a little bit. So here's the lecture part. So, um, James Finley. James Finley uh, grew up in an abusive household. Um, as, a high, as a teenager, um, discovered the writings of uh, the Christian mystics in the school library, I think. Um, kind of ran away from home and joined a monastery. He just happened to run away to the monastery where Thomas Merton was the novice master, and Merton was his spiritual director for a number of years. Um, after growing up in an abusive household, he um, was molested at the monastery and left, and left the church, and went and became a psychiatrist, and he teach, he's an expert in uh, trauma. <laughs> and studied uh, Buddhism and continued his fascination with the Christian mystics and made his way back. And he is uh, one of my favorite teachers. So here's what Finley writes in uh, one of his books, but we also had him here in town. Oh gosh, what's the date, 2014. Uh, this is uh, from a transcript from a lecture where he was here at the Sophia Center in Atchison. And he says these, James Finley says, each of us need three things. We need a practice, a teaching, and a community. That's all you need. So, Steve Martin, that's all I need. A practice, a teaching, and a community. A practice is any act habitually entered into with your whole heart that takes you to the deeper place. Little by little, all life becomes practice. This is him ad-libbing, by the way. This is just him riffing. I think he's answering a question, right? So that's the one we want to focus on today. A practice is any act habitually entered into with your whole heart, so that's important, that takes you to the deeper place. Little by little, all life, everything becomes practice. Now the other two are very important. Teacher, um, find that person whose words awaken your heart with the desire for the great way and then forget everything else. That person is your teacher. Little by little, you realize that all life is your teacher. So James Finley is my teacher. One of them. Community is just one other person in whose presence you know you're not alone on this path. Then you realize the whole world is your community. Practice, teaching, community. To have this, these don't have to be the same. Like, 
for you to be my community, we don't have to follow the same teacher. We don't have to practice the same practice. We just need to love each other as we practice our practice and follow our teacher. And isn't it cooler when you have a different practice and I have a different teacher, and then we can talk about it. And we don't just talk about how cool our teacher is. <laughs> Although he's pretty cool, so. Um, so, um, practice. Uh, also, I'm wearing my TCU thing. My, my son went to TCU. My denomination, the Disciples of Christ, has a seminary at TCU, Bright Divinity School. And I was at that same conference last week, and um, <laughs> which, sorry, it was fascinating. A day and a half discussing how the history of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, we were uh, racists, and, and the history of our mistreatment of our brothers and sisters of all, of all walks, um, and brilliant scholars talking about you know, the stuff that really happened, so in a very, very uh, kind and compassionate way. Uh, a representative from Bright Divinity School stood up and said that, kind of gave their bumper sticker, which was, uh, I think it was like, um, something academics, brilliant academics, and uh, social justice, and then life-giving practice. So this one, right? It takes you to, to a deeper place. What is the practice that gives you life? What is the practice that makes you come alive? Was that, what's that Howard Thurman quote? Why didn't, I, why didn't I pull that one? Find the thing that makes your heart sing. It makes your heart come alive and then do that because what the world needs is people whose hearts are alive. So, okay. Hey, Nick, would you pass those out, please? Yep. This is the Hannah Finley uh, portion of the lecture. So practices. We're talking about practices. Oops. Oh, wait, wait. Not yet. Go ahead, Nick. Here are three uh, fairly random books, although kind of big hits on spiritual practices. Richard Foster, Celebration of Discipline. This is the classic, classical, traditional church stuff. And um, I read it a long time ago, and it's cool. Um, the spiritual disciplines, meditation, prayer, fasting, study, simplicity, solitude, submission, service, confession, worship, guidance, celebration. I was with him right along. He's writing his chapter on fasting. I'm like, yeah, I got this. This is good, Richard. And then he says, the effects of fasting generally kick in about the second week. And I was like, wait. <laughs> yeah, next chapter. So, class, the classical spiritual disciplines from the church, celebration of discipline. Practicing our faith, the Valparaiso Project. Uh, a number of different authors. A different author writes each chapter. This is the, the idea of kind of really living Christian lives. Here are the practices in practicing our faith. Honoring the body, hospitality, household economics, saying yes and saying no, discernment, keeping Sabbath, testimony, discernment, shaping communities, forgiveness, healing, dying well, Singing Our Lives. Singing Our Lives, a chapter is written by, uh, gosh, I can't come up with their names, a very well-known church musician, worship um, expert, and his daughter is uh, one of the Indigo Girls, and they write the chapter together. And actually, a lot of those chapters became books. So this whole, there's a whole series of books. This thing's about 20 years old, I think, now 30. And this book I was just introduced to recently, and I haven't read it. But it's prayer for people who can't sit still. And it's a guy with ADHD. 
whose wife is a contemplative, and in the, in the opening he writes about how he comes downstairs and his wife has this like heavenly glow about her as she meditates, and, he's, uh, he, and he can't focus for more than five minutes. And, and so he's a, a disciples pastor who has spent some time here in town. I, I don't know him myself, but friend of a friend. Okay, so you're free, feel free to look at those. Welcome to look at those in a minute. Here's this critter I was introduced to a couple of years ago. Um, contemplativemind.org is uh, a people, I don't know who they were, they wrote this amazing study of, of well over 100 pages documentation of contemplative practices. And I apologize, I, I picked the dead tree. Um, there's a newer graphic where the tree is not dead. <laughs> it actually has leaves on it, but I didn't have it in my files. So um, the tree of contemplative practices, they surveyed uh, like a billion people who are active um, contemplative spiritual people who engage in spiritual practices and they said what do you what do you consider to be a spiritual practice and look at the crazy list that's on the back where are they um it's not stuff you might um can i get seven volunteers to read them so i can you can stop listening to me talk the first one is a misprint it should be activist and on the front are the, are the examples of, so in the back is the description, on the front are examples of each of those seven branches of the, just popcorn, somebody, somebody read each one, nice and loud. Thank you. Cyclical practices, practices done either alone or in community to mark the passages of time or milestones in a person's life to acknowledge and or catalyze change. So flip back over to the picture and or, it's pretty tiny here on the screen. Uh, find something on there that just like totally blows you away. Like, man, I, that's, that's, what, that's my thing. Or, holy cow, I never expected that to be there. And or, like, how, so what we did at the, the beginning was like, oh, yeah, okay, we're gonna sit and be quiet. And that's, but look at this list. Get your partner. Uh, two minutes, go, talk. Okay. 
30 seconds. later. So just real quick, some kind of theoretical stuff. So hey, first of all, uh, in Western, my, this is Kevin, in Western usage, my perception is the words meditation and contemplation. Meditation is I'm going to zen out and I'm going to sit and be quiet. Contemplation is I'm going to think about that. Uh, hey, contemplate it. Yes? Yes? Okay, in, in the church, they're flipped. So meditatio is when I meditate on something. So what we did with Lectio Divina, that was meditatio first. We meditated on a scripture. Contemplatio is when I just chill. So the reason that we use contemplative practices, contemplative prayer as a church, is because in church history, that's the use of the word. Now that's flipped in our, does that, does that ring true to you? And um, especially when, um, came out of the, the East in, you know, with uh, Transcendental Meditation. Um, so just real quick, some um, kind of theoretical stuff. So here's, uh, God, I never think of this guy's first name. James, is it James? Yeah. Fowler, James Fowler is one of my other heroes, one of my, one of my teachers early on when I was working with teenagers and I was like, I don't understand what's happening. Uh, Fowler says that each of us go through a fairly predictable pattern of stages of faith. It's not, it's, it does not go like this. You can be anywhere. You can bounce around. You can slide back and forth. Uh, mythic literal faith is childhood. Mythic literal, I believe what I tell you, you know, you really, Santa Claus, come on, right? So that's the level of faith. Synthetic conventional are teens. Uh, conventional means they're wanting to believe what the people around them believe. Synthetic does not mean artificial. It means they are synthesizing. 
They are combining, they're, they're developing their own faith. This is young adulthood, individual reflective. This is where people tend to be the most sure that they know everything about everything when you're 25. I had two boys in the home like that. And then something happens and you go like, excuse my language, oh crap, I really didn't know. <laughs> like, uh, this is, aha, wait, this is a big swing. And then Fowler says stage six is, is few people get there. But this is a place where you, um, this is kind of different language, but it was such a cool picture that I picked it. Um, universal, so stage six is when you are comfortable with ambiguity and you see the truth in all things. So if you are a devout religious leader in a specific religion, you are not a stage six. By definition, if you are stuck, you're, you're at, at, at an earlier stage. Right, if you're very adamant about a particular set of religious beliefs. This is M. Scott Peck. This is the um, road less traveled guy. He has a much simpler thing. His goes top to bottom. <laughs> so, and I, like, I love his language, chaotic antisocial childhood, formal institution or young child, chill school, skeptic individual, right? We go through that shift. And then what's he call his last stage? Mystical communal. So, um, it's not like a competition, who's gonna to get to stage four, or stage six before everybody else. They are very realistic in saying not everybody gets there and that's okay. Uh, Finley says not everybody is a mystic. They're just not. A uh, few people get there. But look at this fascinating thing and I never have found a better graphic for this. But look at this, He's, somebody's laid uh, M. Scott Peck's stuff over Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So if I don't have my needs met, my simple physical needs, I am in chaos. I, I move to fundamentalism and then doubt. The more, I, the more my needs are met and then mysticism comes when everything, uh, okay, things are okay, I, I am able to move to the next um, place. Um, so real quick, um, so you all, I know you're very much social justice people, um, and so I just wanted to point this out. These two schools are, Richard Rohr is, the reason I know who James Finley is is because of Richard Rohr, because Richard Rohr runs the Center for Action and Contemplation, was started in the uh, Southwest in the 70s, was designed to, to deal with uh, immigration issues. They were gonna be an out-in-the-street activist action team and they realized really quickly that they couldn't do the work they needed to do unless they were healthy spiritually and in the last 50 years that organization has completely shifted to focusing on this so that you can do that because this is exhausting without that and hopefully this spurs that right Contemplative Outreach is Thomas Keating's organization. That's the I teach centering prayer. I practice centering prayer. It's a very contemplative practice. And yet the, um, the value statement of contemplative outreach is silence, solitude, service, and solidarity. I love that. Isn't that cool? Um, so those are kind of influences on me. Um, I have good news and bad news and good news. Good news. Meister Eckhart is one of my teachers. Theologians may quarrel, but the mystics of the world speak the same language.
the, they are our only hope, <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Earlier that if you are a devout religious leader in any specific faith and you are so invested in your version of things, you cannot have a conversation with somebody who is equally invested in their things. I heard, who is this? I forget his name already. Glenn Young was talking about the, the split between the, the Orthodox and the Catholic Church in the, around 1000, 1050 something. And basically, he, he confirmed what I say was the Pope and the Patriarch got in a pissing match. They were just like, I want to be in charge. No, you don't want to be in charge. No, I'm in charge. No, you're in charge. And so they excommunicated each other and all of their members of the other church forever. And they still haven't gotten back together. They talk about it every once in a while. And, and I, I'm being critical, but I'm a Protestant, right? So then we were like 500 years later, like, nope, you guys are all stupid. We're going to go do our own thing. So we just keep splitting and splitting and splitting and splitting. But thankfully, the theologians, that's the good news. So here's the bad news. Um, notice the footnote. The church has had little interest in mysticism and is often threatened by it because they perceive it as losing power and control. I thought very strongly about that until I listened to Glenn Young talk at his lecture from a few weeks ago when he was talking about how welcome mysticism was in the early church. And he's a church historian and I am not. So I will go with that. But here's, so then I wrote this before I listened to that. So then I was like, oh, shoot, I got to change that. But let me change it this way. Uh, I think since the, as a, as a uh, see a white guy from the Midwest who's a mainline Protestant, nobody talked about mysticism in my experience. It's my Catholic brothers and sisters, my Catholic teachers who have introduced me. And that's not true necessarily. It's wonderful folks at the American Baptist Seminary um, helped me out too. Uh, some Presbyterians helped me out. So um, he talked about mysticism being welcomed in the church. Here's my thought. I think it was, and I think it was a thing where they went, that guy's a mystic. That lady's a mystic. She had a mystical experience. She wrote a book. Um, um, we're gonna put her in a room, and you can go talk to her if you want to, but don't mess around. <laughs> but it's not, it wasn't for you. And I think that's what's changed. And, and, and direct access to God means that church hierarchy has no control over who gets into heaven or not. Sure does. <laughs> Well, if you're not baptized, if you're not on the rolls, if you haven't been to church, if you haven't made a donation. And I'm a church guy, right? I, this, my whole life's been in the church. So, uh, Kevin again. Ironically, if the church focused on the health of the individual and not the institution, perhaps people would flock to be guided in ways to connect to their inner essence of God and be healed. Maybe if we figured out that this is what people need, we would offer it and people would be fed, and we'd have wonderful things like this. Back up to the chart, not everybody's ready. So you have people at all different levels of the, the faith development, and as a church, we, we have to minister to all of them. Not everybody's ready to be a mystic. Not everybody's capable, Finley says, not capable. Not everyone's called to it. A man named Robert Wuth now teaches at Princeton. He says there's three types of spirituality he sees in the world. Dwelling is traditional church, rules, in and out, 
Um, community, the group is important. Uh, seeking, for people who have stepped out of the dwelling people and they're seeking. Um, he says, uh, this is fine for a lot of people, but it's limiting. He says, seeking is fine for a lot of people, but you never get there and you're lonely. And he says, practice-oriented spirituality is his image for the church in the future. The things Finley said, a practice, a teaching, and a community. Here's Meister Eckhart here again. Here's the good news, good news, good news. God's seed in, is in us. What is the purpose of these practices? Is it to connect to the holy? Or is it to recognize the holy that is within you? And I'm going with two. I'm not connecting to something that is outside of me. I am I, I'm revealing, I am getting in touch with the thing that is deep inside of me. God's seed is in us. If it were tended by a good, wise, and industrious laborer, it would flourish all the better and would grow up to be God, whose seed it is. And its fruits would be like God's own nature. The seed of a pear tree grows into a pear tree. The seed of a nut tree grows to be a nut tree. The seed of God grows to be God. Let me show you one more thing. This just popped up in everybody's social media this week. What do you see? What do you see? Donkeys? Or zebras? Yeah, this is a shadow. This is shot from above. This is most of our lives. We go through lives thinking that we're this. Um, shadow self, false self, Merton, all those people. When we are this, and this is what God sees. And the path of the mystic is to return to recognize that I'm a zebra, I'm not a shadow. And um, most of us don't get there, but someday you do. When all that's left is the zebra. <laughs> And you and God are hanging out, and God says, "You know, you were, you were one of my favorite zebras, and I'm glad that you're you're with me now." So, um, thank you so much um, for for trusting and going along, and uh, it's really been fun being here with you. So. Thank you so much.